0: Whether it's the people that we had coming in or just my own maturity and providing more context around situations, here's what we're doing, here's the landscape, here's the direction we're going, people started saying, here's what I need to do in order to take more off whoever's plate it was. And they're able to be more proactive in that way. So as a leader, I feel like I'm constantly stretching that muscle of, you know, how can I give more information and context, whether it's behind decisions in order to let our people be more autonomous and grow.
1: Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Second in Command podcast, where we unveil the heroes behind successful organizations. Today, we've got a remarkable guest with us, Christine Watts, who's the head of customer success at a software platform called 90.io. Christine has been the driving force between 90.io's incredible growth, taking the company from 25 to 120 employees in just three years. They've also secured two rounds of funding in their Series A and B rounds, propelling them to new heights, allowing them to add some incredible new employees as well. Their software is being used by EOS implementers and integrators in 26 countries, making a global impact. And Christine's expertise extends to knowing when to say no to clients whose software feature requests don't align with the company's vision. Her Colby profile as a fact finder, 8643, greatly aids in her gathering relevant information in her role. And additionally, her ability to deliver difficult news has proven invaluable in her position. Join us as we delve into Christine's incredible journey and glean insights from her experiences at the forefront of Naughty.io's success. Hopefully, you'll also be checking us out on our Second in Command YouTube channel, as well as listening to wherever podcasts are listened to as well. We'll see you on the inside. You're going to love this episode. So, Christine, welcome to the Second in Command podcast.
0: Yeah, thanks for having me.
1: Yeah, really looking forward to learning from you today, learning about you today, and also just kind of diving in deeper into the company that you run. So, I've really been intrigued with 90.io for a few years now, a bunch of years. I think I I bumped into Gino Wickman, who started Traction probably 12 years ago now. And you guys kind of got involved in and around the EOS space pretty early in building software. Can you walk us through that kind of path where you got or how you got to where you are today?
0: Yeah, so we were started. There were three founders. Two of them were EOS implementers, and so it was kind of a product that came out of them coaching. You know, Mark, our CEO right now, will talk about how he's had the vision for you know ten years before that time frame even. Too, but we got started as a product that was kind of just generic in the marketplace for business management, and we said we were compatible with EOS because we didn't have a licensed relationship, and so. Um, a lot of EOS implementers used us and loved us. And then eventually, we kind of moved into more of a formalized partnership with EOS over the years. But we got started in 2016, launched out of uh, beta in 2017. And I joined in January 2017 um, as the first non-developer. So there there were two developers on board. And then it was just the three founders other than that.
1: And, and saying that it was kind of compatible with EOS, was it by design? Like, did they intentionally say, hey, it looks like EOS is? Because that was almost at the pinnacle of EOS's growth as well.
0: Yeah, exactly. And it was it was really interesting initially. So we we were completely in that community, right? So going to the conferences, you know, the very first conference and working within the community of coaches, but software was a very new concept to people in terms of, they had always been taught software is bad. So software means you're distracted, you're not in the meeting room when things are happening. And so we built it specifically around EOS, run your level 10 meetings, have your accountability chart, your VTOs right there, knowing that the world was heading in that direction. So software can be a partner and it's not like the enemy when you're going into those situations. It helps you stay on track, keep record. But there was that bit of pushback and learning curve for people when we initially launched that made, we had to make
1: them feel comfortable with that concept, especially the coaches. Well, it's interesting because for years, I'd said that Gino really missed a massive opportunity. They were training thousands of companies how to use the operating system. And then after a year or two, they were like, okay, bye-bye to the implementer. And it was just the visionary and the integrator kind of self-implemented internally. But they they didn't have any SaaS model. They didn't have any software. They didn't have any... And they were using all the systems, but there was no ability to keep them. And and then you guys kind of came along and jumped on that. But you're expanding outside of EOS now as well. Can you talk to us a little bit about that?
0: Yeah, that's right. And it's, it's really interesting hearing the people that you talk to on the podcast, too, because a lot of them have roots in a specific operating system. So whether they're using scaling up or EOS or whatever it is those kind of foundations are really important because as you're a small company, you need to have those kind of guardrails on to say, we need to save ourselves from making bad decisions. Like we know the framework we need to use, but as you expand and get bigger and you have a coach and there's more complexity, being able to customize your solution to something that actually works for your organization is huge. And that's the area that we're working into now. So being able to work with, Partners just like EOS that have their own business operating systems, offering our own templates up for companies that might want to use those as well. And then just offering more customizable solutions like your weekly meeting. Maybe it's the same at the leadership level, but as you get into your marketing team, your ops team, finance, you have specific things that you want to pull into that meeting. Maybe you want to change the time frame, but the purpose is all the same. We need to be identifying our issues, looking at if things are on track, And so those are just all ways that we're looking to really enhance the client experience and make sure that everybody can get what they want out of it.
1: So it's interesting you mentioned scaling up. So I've known Vern for 25 years, and I think he took the Rockefeller habits and overcomplicated it with scaling up. You almost need to have 200 plus employees for scaling up to work in my mind. It's a great system. but And then I'm friends with Andy Bailey, who built the Align software, and Patrick Tian who built the Rhythm software. I've known the, the community forever. Are you moving into that kind of more corporate or more mid-sized company operating system, or are you staying more in the small to mid-sized zone?
0: You know, we're we're really looking to hit both because, like I said, you want to have the specific framework that the small, let's say, 10 to 250 want to use, which is really the EOS market sweet spot. But even for us internally, we're not going to be... Under a 250 employee company forever. Right now we're at 120, we're scaling rapidly. And so anytime we're making decisions internally, we almost have that client facing mindset to say, would we teach our clients to do this? And how would we make it a process, a system, something in the software that helps them do that as well? And so as we're scaling ourselves, we're definitely looking to go up to that, you know, companies with 2000 employees should be able to use our software. And not only that, The complexity there, maybe there's a PE firm and all of the companies they manage use it. And that's a really easy way for them to have insight and access and be able to coach those organizations. Or as you're aware of franchise organizations, being able to have the franchisor and the franchisees underneath. So there's just a lot of opportunities there that haven't been explored yet.
1: Are you looking at that's interesting? Are you looking at the franchisor space?
0: Yeah, yeah, we are right now, and we work with a variety of them um, right now, more on the individual level. But there's a bunch of franchise organizations where they have that specific operating system, whether it's EOS or another, at the franchisor level, and they try and get their franchisees to use it as well. So we're exploring that space right
1: now. Interesting. I was the I was the second in command for a company called One Eight Hundred Got Junk, and and it grew them from two million to one hundred and six million in six years, but. There was a group out of Vancouver. I can't remember what it was called. Water Street, I think it was. That was trying to do franchising software, but they never really got to that next level. But yeah, it's got to be a huge market. And then I love that you mentioned going after the PE firm space and kind of helping them manage and oversee their capital or deployed capital. By are they are there's some pickup in that idea as well.
0: Yeah, yeah. There's a handful that already use us for it, and so it's it's one of those things where you. The software is great. You can use it as is right now, but you're makeshifting a little bit of the solution because you can be in multiple companies, but you can't share information across those. And sometimes there's people that need to be in multiple, and they want to see all of their tasks in one place. As an example, so there's tweaks and things that we need to do to make it even better. But we do have organizations using it in that, that capacity right now.
1: So how do you know when your software company, like when when you're building software and you're building a SaaS model, how do you know when to say no? to certain customer requests versus saying yes to all of them?
0: So we've got a very specific methodology around this. And I often have to explain it to clients too, right? Because there's feature requests coming in all the time. And that's one thing I love about our market. People are so engaged and you never have to pay for product interviews, client interviews, whatever it is. They want to give you the feedback. They want to get on the phone with the PMs. But we really use a rule of 80%. Is this an 80% solution? 80% for all of our clients. And so taking it that lens, we actually have a full snack built out around that. We're able to use the tools ourselves as a big one. So we would never develop anything that we wouldn't be able to use. Come, on, We see ourselves as our own target market. So there are certain things like that that we really put through the filter and make sure we're creating the right thing. And then there's, of course, like a range of features that you're going to develop Mark, the CEO, is on the far end of the range of, I want to start building things right now that people aren't even asking for because he's got that visionary mindset. Whereas internally, the product managers are looking at, well, here's the future requests that are coming in and, and how can we develop and create something that's going to be adding depth to the platform right now.
1: Did, did you guys raise money?
0: We did. Yep. Through Insight. Partners. And that,
1: can, can you talk about how that process went? Can, I don't know if you can talk about how much you raised, but what was the process of of raising money? And, and um, what did you learn through that process?
0: Yeah, it was interesting. I guess, um, man, was it 2020? Maybe? Yeah, 2020, I think, is when it really started. Because um, COVID really, like we started taking off at that point. So everybody was moving to their houses or like, I need a way to, again, that conversation of something like software, which was the enemy before to a lot of companies. They're realizing, oh, I need this in order to keep all of my people on track and be able to communicate well. So we had a lot of firms reaching out to us just purely based on our numbers. Insight came along and I don't remember too much about like that process of going through the refinement and choosing them. But we went through an interesting process where we had an, an initial raise and then as contingent on hitting numbers, we had um, a secondary Series A with them. So add-on funding. How did the
1: process change the company? How did it change the way that you operated?
0: You know, really just able to hire more and accelerate growth. Um, I don't think we fundamentally changed too much. Um, Like, especially from our perspective, we're not owned by them or anything like that. So being able to control ownership and control our own vision and destiny, I think was a huge part of that and making sure we maintain that. But it's, uh, yeah, the, the hiring aspect has been huge. I would say free hire, free series A, man, I want to remember the number of employees, but it was probably around 25. And now, yeah, we're at 120. So just able to really like let our departments experience some depth there was nice.
1: Yeah. When you go through 5X five five growth in employees, that drastically changes the whole company too. Have you gone from having a management team to a true leadership team now?
0: You know, we we definitely adopt that kind of super flat mentality. So our leadership team, people sitting below our CEO, we have 10 there. So a lot a lot of people would say, wow, that's way too many it ends up working out really well. We're still able to make great decisions. Again, we've had to like tweak our process a little bit. So like our quarterly planning meetings are two days instead of one day. Every quarter, we're looking at things and seeing how can we tweak that agenda to make sure we're talking about the right things up front to make the right decisions in the room. So there's little things like that that we need to adjust. But other than that, I would say being able to maintain that flat organization has let a lot of people work autonomously. And we're doing a lot of work around that right now as we continue to scale, making sure our teams are set up in a way like on the engineering side, we have a pods model. So product managers, designers, engineers, all work in a team of no more than you know 7 to 10 people. And they're assigned to an individual tool. And so that lets them make decisions, have the information they need and develop against that tool without all of the bureaucracy of needing to like go through approvals and things like that.
1: That makes sense, easy to easy to manage. So one of the questions I've got around your software which is so different from so many companies is in the EOS world, it's quite easy to get companies that use EOS to use the 90.io software because the methodology is understood. You know, they understand the systems, they understand why they're using the systems, they understand why software is going to help them manage the systems. But there's lots of companies out there. In fact, like the vast, vast majority of companies don't use any operating system whatsoever. At least, yeah, you know, they've got one, but it's not, it's not like a scaling up or three hagway, or you know, it's not like a system that's branded that's been replicatable. How do you educate that market? at the same time as getting them to use your software, is there a coaching component to your software or a consulting component? Or are you finding that they, there's a pain point that they're they're saying, I just need to get rid of the pain so we'll figure out how to use the software?
0: Yeah, it's it's interesting because that's the exact thing we're working on right now. So we finally, now that we have really full-fledged marketing team, creative team, we're going out there and trying to educate against those pain points to bring net new people in that are, EOS unaware is kind of what we call them internally. They're not aware that they even need an operating system at this point. But really, this is kind of the core reason we haven't even had a sales team internally, even right now, because we have such a product market fit within these specific groups. So, really, the coaches, the EOS implementers, they act as our sales force. They're the ones out there that are really identifying the client base and bringing them in. Other people find us really just organically. We probably have like a 60-40 split in terms of companies that are already have a coach and are coming to us or that are not coached. Um, But we're really looking at that uncoached market right now and identifying ways that we can go after them better. And we really see ourselves internally as a technology platform, support and service oriented and learning oriented. So we have a full education team where they're actually building out content and resources that are really the context and concepts behind the software. Because to your point, you can't just come in and start using it. It's not, we're going to start setting up a new CRM and here, let's go. Um, It's so much change management that has to happen within an organization. And so you really can't sell that to an organization right now, right? We have to go through that process of understanding like, what are your needs? Where are you at? And if it's not a fit right now, we're, we're here and we'll send you the resources you need until
1: it's a better fit. It's interesting. I've been an advisor to um, a company called 15.5 for the last 9 years. I'm an investor in the company as well. And one of the things that we noticed in their growth is that when companies that are using their software, when employees get fired or quit and move to another company, the software migrates over. Are you starting to see that at all when you know executives move to other firms and then they're taking your software, they're staying a customer, but at a new company?
0: Yeah, we've definitely seen that a fair amount. And, and even on the point where on the client success side, I'm like, man, I'd love to figure out how we can follow our clients on LinkedIn and like be more proactive around that approach, too. But yeah, it's, it's very cool. Um, especially for me, I'll have people email me and reach out just because I feel like my face and name are out there just in the YouTube universe as it's tied to 90 and have those same comments of, you know, I used it here and now I'm at a new role.
1: Yeah, it's, it'll be interesting to watch the, the trajectory of your growth change as the companies as, as people migrate and move. Okay, so let's talk a little bit about um, about your growth kind of through the trajectory in the last th- three years, really, when you go from 25 employees to 120. How have you had to emerge as a, and grow as a leader? Where have you had to, to, to grow?
0: Really, just the delegation aspect, and I feel like so much goes into the people that we're hiring and in the context that we're providing them because initially you're bringing people in and they're just asking, "How can I help? How can I help?" and when you're answering emails till midnight and then waking up at six a m because there's bugs and like you don't have time to even think about how somebody can jump in and help you, but we really turned a corner in terms of whether it's the people we that we had coming in or just I feel like my own maturity and providing more context around situations. Here's what we're doing. Here's the landscape. Here's the direction we're going. People started saying, here's what I need to do in order to take more off whoever's plate it was. And they're able to be more proactive in that way. So, as a leader, I feel like I'm constantly stretching that muscle of, you know, how can I give more information and in context, whether it's behind decisions or just how we're seeing the market move or anything like that. Um, in order to let our people be more autonomous
1: and grow. So you mentioned delegation. It's interesting. That's one of the 12 core modules in my Invest in Your Leaders course um, is delegation. Do you have a system that you use for delegating? And can you kind of walk us through some of your thoughts around delegation?
0: You know, I would say we, we should have a better one. You know, there's so many things that are kind of like pre baked into how we operate. But a great thing that we do have is just like essentially our responsibilities chart where you can go through every single person's roles and understand is this still important to me? And so we have that pre baked into our one on ones with managers and direct reports. How many hours are you spending on these individual roles every single week? And then let's have an open, honest conversation. If you're spending way too much time in a specific area, are there things within there that you can drop down and delegate? So that's really how we're approaching it right now. And yeah, I'll be interested to see how that kind of grows and evolves over time.
1: Hey, it's Cameron. Did you hear? That's right. I wrote another book. But this book isn't just another book for me. It's actually for you the visionary CEO that is looking to grow and scale their business. This book is called The Second in Command, Unleash the Power of Your COO. As a founder and CEO, you're used to making all the decisions, but the business you have isn't the one you envision. Heck, we've all been there. And the thing is, you know what you need. You need a COO, someone who can help you build the company you don't know how to build on your own. The Second in Command is your go-to guidebook when you're ready to scale up. I go through all the details in every aspect of the process, from knowing when you need to hire a COO, through identifying and hiring the right candidate, and successfully onboarding and working with them, and so much more. Go to CameronHerald.com forward slash new book to get your copy today. The second command reveals the benefits COOs bring to companies and explores the many ways a COO mastermind or a COO forum can help grow the COO skills. You'll meet the types of COOs and understand the role each type plays, discover how to bring on a COO into your company with the least disruption, and avoid common problems before they arrive. Once again, it's CameronHerald.com forward slash new book to grab your copy today. There's no need to go it alone. We're in this together. Now back to the show. Yeah, One of my thoughts around delegation is, has been around Parkinson's law that work expands to fill the space that we give it. And when we delegate projects to people, we have to tell them how little time we want them to spend, not how much time we think it'll take, but how little time we want them to spend or how little money we want them to spend and then let them figure out how to do it within that bandwidth, within that kind of restraint. Um, but yeah, delegation is an art, man. <laughs>
0: <laughs> it it really is. And I'm coming from the place of, you know, being there from the beginning, I was just doing everything. And so I really had to teach and train myself. I don't have to do everything. It will still get done well. Um, so like going through that own like internal process of, of letting go of things that I do like very much truly care about, you know, is
1: important too. Yeah. That, that's a whole other area of growth. I'm sorry. I missed that component of what you were saying. Yeah the ability to actually let go and let other people do it and free ourselves up and one it's, it's kind of like the to-do list needs to get done but not by you.
0: Yes, I'm much better at that now, but I will say I definitely struggled with that initially, especially when like I was on the weeds in every product decision, I was designing things, I was talking to clients, every client conversation could turn into a product interview and discovery and so like those kind of things were very exciting cuz that, that was part of our success initially, right? The feedback loop was so short. I was talking to people, we were getting things out there, I was getting feedback on it. Like, and that's exactly what you need for like an initial growth company. And so that's, that's part of what I'm doing right now is I'm not the problem solver anymore, but figuring out the systems to put in place so that feedback loop can stay short is really important.
1: Yeah, I love it. I have a former client that I used to coach 10 years ago, Suzanne Evans, and she used to figure out who to her to-do list a week in advance, figure out how many hours or minutes each task would take. And then Sunday night, she would delegate 80% of the hours before she'd started working on a single item. She forced herself to delegate 80% of her week. I'm like, fuck, that's so brilliant. Like, I suck Seriously,
0: at that's incredible. I, that is I, a
1: skill. I, I find it hard too, though. Because again, like you mentioned, when you're so good at something, it's sometimes easier just to get it going versus slow it down. You mentioned early on in the call that that, that 90.io me- measures a few different personality profiles. Can you walk us through the different personality profiles you use, how you use them? And then I want to dig in around one that we use at the COO Alliance called Colby.
0: Yeah, so we use both Colby and TypeCoach even in the interviewing process. So when we're going through hiring and then we've also layered in print. Um, I'm not sure we've done that organization wide, but, you know, through different quarterlies and things on our leadership team, we try and layer in new ones every once in a while. I would say, like you, we rely on probably Colby the most, I would say, in terms of thinking about our working relationship with people and if they're going to be a right fit for the seat that we're bringing them into. So it's just a great context to frame conversation around. And knowing, you know, I've got a client success operations person who is a high quick start. So knowing I probably need to coach him in terms of communication and bringing people along whatever changes he's making, because his natural inclination is going to be to just go.
1: Yeah, it's interesting. Most of our So your Colby profile is eight, six, four, three. And the very high first number means you're a high fact finder. So you like to start projects by asking lots of questions. What is your CEO, Mark Abbott's Colby profile? Do you know what his is?
0: Oh, man, we were just talking about this the other day. Um And I should know we're we're not too far off. He's actually also a high fact finder, um, which is a a bit unique, I would say, for that particular role.
1: I was curious if he's more of like the engineering kind of type or does he approach business, you know, from that perspective more than a lot of entrepreneurs do?
0: Yeah, he's he's a seven, four, six, three. So he's just got a, a bit higher on that quick start side. But, you know, we're not we're not too far off. And that's the really good thing about working with him is. He does want to like get in the weeds and actually know a lot. So he's not just going to like take things at face value. So I think that's been really helpful in terms of, you know, he's got a big vision and where we're heading, um, but isn't going to isn't going to shy away from getting into the details either.
1: Well, it's interesting as, as organizations scale, once you get past the entrepreneurial zone and you're into more of the mid-sized company and you guys are starting to bump into that now the skills of the CEO really do need to adapt. They can't be that high quick start and in, in starting to, you know, you can't be a super high quick start and run a 120 person company. It starts to fall apart. And that's what happened to me at 1-800-GOT-JUNK as the COO. I was a very strange po- profile for a COO, but it's because we were so entrepreneurial in this massive trajectory. But, you know, once we hit 3000 employees system wide, I was banging my head all over the place. It was ugly. Yeah,
0: You're like, why can't we move faster on all of these oh, things? Then? Yeah.
1: <laughs> It was, it was crazy. We had 330 cities and four countries and 13 operating PNLs. I was pulling my hair out. It's funny. They replaced me with the former president of Starbucks US. And she came in and said, what a cute little company. And I was like, fuck, it's so big. <laughs> so in, in looking at the ability to say no to clients, I think there's an art there in, and is it a not now, or is it a hard no, or is it a no because? How do you say no when some of these requests are so niche that they don't serve the 80%?
0: You know, I, I almost consider this one of my superpowers is giving people bad news. I, I used to say that was my job, right? Because initially it's like you have so many bugs, people want things, you can't deliver them. And so it really is an art form. I would say it kind of falls into different categories depending on the request. Cause sometimes p- things people are asking for, it's just physically not possible because you can't line up data from one day of the week and then make it show on a different day of the week. Like there's just like physical limitations that you have to describe to people, but I don't know. I, I really just approach it really from like a, a personal mindset of how would I want somebody to tell me this information too. So it's, it's one of those things where I think it varies person to person or request to request, but having that kind of centralized mindset around, here's who we are, having our snack really well built out and knowing like product wise, where we're heading definitely makes things a lot easier in terms of when people come in with
1: those requests. That's cool. So you said you're the first non-tech person to kind of join the company. And I'm sure there's now there's lots of you that are there that are non-tech, but, um, what was it that Mark saw in you that that allowed him to continue to, you know, put more responsibility on your shoulders and, and give you bigger parts of the organization to scale and to run?
0: You know, I don't, I don't know. Um, like, was it given to me or did I take it? I, I don't know, because even like coming in. So initially I was client success in marketing and I saw the founders giving the developers direction. And I was like, well, I'm just going to step in here and kind of be this middle person. So then I ended up in this product seat. And so I feel like maybe it was a combination of both things with me feeling like I know how to fix this problem or set things up in a better way. And so I'm just going to jump in maybe sometimes without asking. But I I think um, maybe in general, on, on the other side of the equation of like more responsibility given to me being given to me, I'm a fairly level-headed person. Like I I respond like resiliency is a big one to me. So having thick skin, making sure like I'm always coming to situations, I'm not getting hot-headed. So I think that's like a big aspect for being able to work through a lot of that kind of like early turmoil and trouble where it's like it's it's not an easy road to get here and that that's why when other people are like, "Well, I'm just going to go build my own software and like do this myself." It's like you should definitely try that. Good luck to you. You know, you've had client we've had clients that have told us that before. It's like, I know you'll be back in 6 months, love to talk to you about it. I'll even give you some tips, but it's not going to be something you can just go set up on your own.
1: Who do you compete with from the operating software point of view? Have you got competition out there that you're directly competing with and is it a competitive market or is it still a fairly early stage market?
0: Really early stage um, when we got started, and I think companies are just starting to become more established within it. So we've got a, one other one that came up with us specific to the EOS market, and they no longer are. Now we're the only licensed provider of EOS software. So I would still consider them um, as far as like in that business operating space. And then you mentioned a line earlier, they're pretty much like in that competing space as well, just offering a business operating system. Everything else is a bit more adjacent to that OKR software, performance management, like the 15.5 aspect. We've got aspects of that within 90 as well. So, really, we see our, our system as whole business tools. So, what does your whole business need in order to operate? And so, we're trying to pull aspects of that performance management, project management, all of those different things and have it combined into one tool.
1: But you're trying to stay squarely in the operations side of the business too, right? Like you're not migrating into the the tech side of operations, or you're not marketing to marketing operations, like you're staying in the ops.
0: Exactly. Yeah. And so as we continue to build tools, there's things that are complementary to our offering right now. Like, wouldn't it be great if you could survey your employees and get an ENPS or ask them a question every Friday and see like how they're feeling or how they're doing within their roles? So things like that, I would say, still fit into that kind of operations mindset, as opposed to yeah, getting too specific within a within a niche. There,
1: it's interesting. Yeah, I was another client there that I was an advisor to called Tiny Pulse. Did a lot around that employee um, satisfaction side of things. I was an advisor and investor in them as well. So again, the company changing from the twenty five employees to one hundred and twenty employees. How has the leadership team changed? How has the leadership team had to evolve? And that's been pretty fast growth. Have there been any hiccups through that growth?
0: You know, we, we started off with an interesting model of most people coming in fractional. So I was probably the one full-time person on the leadership team, maybe up until about two years ago. And everybody else was coming in with their own layer of expertise, but working maybe one, two days a week. So it let us hire really qualified people into those roles before we really needed somebody full-time. And we're getting to the place now where we a 1,000% need everybody to be in full-time capacity. So I would say that's probably been the biggest change structure-wise that we've gone through is just pulling everybody into really being full-time within their seat to build out their department.
1: And have you had to hire some external Hires to bring them into the organization, and what's that been like doing that when you bring in the senior external hires?
0: Yeah, we've hired everybody externally. Um, it's, I would say our interview process is really good, mainly because we have such a firm ground on here's our vision and here's the type of people that we want to bring in. So really hitting home our core values. We know where we want to be in ten years. So just all of those factors to make sure we're reading out the wrong people, um, and then. Typically, everybody goes through, you know, the three, four interview process. And so it's it's been, even when we were hiring our head of data, like Mark did the interview and then just shared the Zoom link out with all of us. And it was like, hey, here you go. What do you guys think? So I feel like that kind of like openness through the process has been really helpful as well.
1: Now, when you bring in an external senior hire, like let's say it's a leadership team member and they're coming in over top of, you know, 70 other employees that are already there and have been there and working hard. There's a bit of an art to doing that. Can you walk us through how you kind of socialize those hires internally before they start and and what the onboarding process is like for those people?
0: And I would say our most recent one is probably on the marketing side. We had a new head of marketing start in January. And so through that, we really made sure that core members of the team were part of that hiring process as well. So they were in on the interviews. So I think that helped create the buy-in internally because they also want to be mentored in a specific way. So we haven't had the situation where somebody's coming in over 70 people and they're not going to know majority of them. Like when our head of marketing came in, he could have an understanding of who each person on the team was um, and be able to like really work individually with them. So I think that's been a huge benefit is we're not bringing somebody in and then them having to convince, you know, tens and tens of people um, why they're the right fit. But there's that kind of like immediate trust and relationship that can start being formed.
1: Interesting. Anything on on um, international or global expansion, or is most of your expansion in the U.S. right now?
0: Yeah, we're man, we're in twenty six countries. Um, somebody will correct me if I'm wrong there after this, but yeah, we've we've always been a global company, which is really interesting. So we on the client success side, especially, we have somebody that works overnight shift as well from Germany. So we have twenty four seven support there. But employee wise, we're not we're not expand expanding um, outside the U.S. necessarily. We do have a couple people in different countries, and that lends itself well to being able to support multiple languages and things like that. But globally, we're not going after any specific markets. We're really trying to follow those coaches along the path that they're going. So if we have UK based coaches, like any way that we can go after and support them through training sessions that are running or conferences or anything like that. We want to be a part of that journey.
1: So when you're so kind of tightly tied and com- compatible with EOS, how do you get coaches that are non EOS coaches to start to adopt? Is there a, do they feel like there's a c- competition that they're having to deal with or uh, do they feel like they're kind of joining the dark side?
0: It's, you know, it's so, you never really see the other side, I would say at least from my perspective. So those people coming in shouldn't feel like they're competing in any way with any other specific coach. They have their own referral link in. The client actually gets a unique experience based on whatever the coach set up. So the coach can come in and if they're not using EOS as an example, they can create their own template. So every time their link is used, the client's set up and everything's named the way they want. Pages are configured the way they want. So it's a pretty unique experience, I would say, for those coaches that have very individualized operating system set up.
1: Love it. All right, let's go back to the 21, 22-year-old Christine Watts. What advice would you give the the younger you that you probably know to be true today, but you wish you'd known when you're just getting started?
0: Yeah, I think um, being more bold. um, I've always kind of been in these leadership positions, maybe because people just see me as like having a cool head and being able to like speak reason into situations. So going back all the way through like, sports growing up, I was always the captain and playing D1 in college, like same thing. And so through a lot of those situations, I feel like I dealt with hard things, but I didn't own it. And so I feel like now I'm doing a much better job of getting out of my head, like dealing with the
1: imposter syndrome and like being more bold in those situations. I love it. Christine Watts, the head of client success for Naughty.io. Thank you so much for sharing with us on the second command podcast.
0: Yeah. Thanks for having me. That was great.